You're listening to the Life-Changing Discipleship Podcast. Here's the deal. If you make disciples by sitting around and talking, you shouldn't be surprised when your disciples sit around and talk and talk and talk. This is the podcast for those weary of just talking and ready to start activating in the mission Jesus gave us to change the world. The Life-Changing Discipleship Podcast, where disciples and disciple makers gather to grow and go together. Here's your host, Dr. Matt Friedemann. Hey friends, disciples and disciple makers, great to have you with us today. Remember, the place for a man, for a woman, completing all their powers is in the fight. And right now today, somewhere in the world, making disciples of the nations. So stay tuned, stay encouraged. We've got a rendezvous with destiny. All right, folks, great to be back here with you again. We've been, you know, last couple of times we've been talking about letters to young leaders. You know, first and second Timothy and Titus, where Paul writes to two guys that are kind of in charge in their particular towns, uh, Ephesus and Crete, and says, listen, I I need for you to listen up because what we're doing there is so incredibly important. There's a lot at stake, and I need for you to listen. So listen, they do. And we've all listened ever since, thinking, man, those are not just good things for the young leaders that Paul had in mind, but those are good things for us, whether we're leaders or not. By the way, leaders are not, it's interesting, because I think we're all leaders somewhere, don't you? I mean, if if people are looking at you because you're Christianity, you're a leader in one way or another, or if you're a mom or dad, that's leadership, uh, certainly the pastor of a church, but if you're an employer or even an employee that has one day more on the job than somebody else, you are a leader. That's why I think these things are so very, very good for us to look at. So anyway, one of the things that Paul does in 2 Timothy is he uses some portraits, uh, and portraits really of discipleship. He says in 2 Timothy uh, chapter 2, 3 and following, he says, Suffer hardship with me as a good, here we go, soldier of Christ Jesus. So discipleship is now soldier. No soldier in active service entangles himself in the affairs of everyday life so that we may he may please the one who enlisted him. And if someone likewise competes as an athlete, all right, now, discipleship is soldier, discipleship is athlete now. So if someone likewise competes as an athlete, he's not crowned as victor unless he competes according to the rules. Third portrait, the hardworking farmer ought to be the first to receive his share of the crops. Now, Paul here uses three really quick portraits, and I think they're very informative for us when we think in terms of leadership, when we think of not only leading, but developing leaders who will develop leaders. And so the first one here is simply this, the soldier thing, be a good soldier of Christ Jesus. Now, what I think is interesting about this is uh, I read about a senior officer uh, not long ago that was talking to his soldiers And he said, I always like to talk to them about having a why factor. In other words, the reason that you get up every morning makes you the person you can be, the best person you can be. So why do you get up in the morning? And so you ask these why questions. Why do I want the next rank? I mean, is it just because you want the next rank? You want more money? Is it because, you know, you want the prestige or is there something else deeper? Why do you want the next rank? It'll speak huge volumes to the person you can be. Why do I want to marry her? I mean, just because she's good looking, like to have some sex? Or is there something else, something deeper? Why do I want to marry this person? Why do I want children? 
just because, you know, that's what people do. You get married and you have children. Well, yeah, but why? Why do I want children? Do you want to make them for the nations, to make disciples of the nations, to be a bright light, to be salt? Or do you just want kids? Why do I need money? What do I need more money for? What do I need education for? Why do I need more education? These why questions are huge. And you can ask a whole lot more than just this. But it kind of reminds you that if you ask the right kinds of questions and get the right kinds of answers, then basically, guess what? You can share in suffering. You can endure anything. You can endure anything if you are able to ask the why questions and come up with profound answers. So great soldiers, I think, are able to ask the why questions. Great soldiers are submissive. I mean, you learn very quickly as a soldier that you're not in charge of your life anymore. You have submitted to another. And everyone has one way or another. Everyone is submitted to someone or something. I'm no admirer of Bob Dylan's at the point of his singing voice. Don't think the guy can sing, but you got some good songs, and one of them is, hey, you got to serve somebody. It might be the devil, or it might be the Lord, but you're going to serve somebody. Yeah, I think it's all actually more particular than that. I think it's, hey, you're going to serve somebody. It might be you, or it might be the Lord. But if you're a good soldier, you've decided, I'm not serving me anymore. I've submitted myself to another for the good of a cause. Third thing about a, a great soldier is discipline. I mean, Paul straight up says it here. Some things you just don't need to get entangled in. All your personal resources ought to be poured into the accomplishment of the mission. So consider yourself disciplined and submissive and ready to go for the mission. And the last thing I would say about a great soldier is simply this. Attack and adapt. No matter what the problem, attack it and then learn, adjust, and continue to attack. Now, attack isn't always... Uh, something you do with vigorous violence. It, it may be waiting, but if that's what you do, then attack the waiting. Wait, learn, adjust, and then continue. Y'all, I think it's important that we are able to adapt, and good soldiers, great soldiers always do. They know what the mission is, but they also know, boy, everything could change the minute we start lobbing bombs and the, and the bullets start flying. And so good soldiers, able to ask the why question, they're submissive, they are disciplined, they attack, and they adapt. So that's the first thing that Paul uses here in these three metaphors. Soldier, share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. The next thing here is athlete. Paul says an athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. Now, (laughs) y'all, I think we like to live in a culture that thinks there are no rules, Every, every man's doing what's right in his own eyes, right? And that the great uh, uh, precept of, of the book of Judges, everyone's doing what's right in his own eyes, but that's not really the way the world's run, and you know it, and I do too. Rules are important. Simple simple rule here. Uh, let, me, let, me, let me share this with you. There is something called a 400-meter race in track and field, right? Everybody knows about the 400. We used to do it 400 yards. Now we do it 400 meters. The 400-meter race in track and field. Now, here's the simple rule. There is no 399-meter race. There's only a 400-meter. Now, that's a rule, and there are a lot more rules involved with that race than just that. But that's, you know, one of the rules, the major rule, the overarching rule is this race lasts for 400 meters. Now, if you win, and I happen to know a guy that won the national championship in the 
meter dash. Actually, has a picture. He's celebrating at 399 meters while the national champion is diving to be the winner of the 400 meter race. So we won that year. My university won the 399 meter dash. The only problem, there is no 399 meter dash. Now, here's the worst part of it. It was actually a 1600 meter relay. And uh, my friend decided to lose the race for his three other runners on that team by only running 399 meters. So they had a chance for a national championship, didn't get it because only ran 1,599 meters. And I will tell you right now, rules are important. And by the way, not only the rules are important, but preparation is essential. Uh, apparently, and uh, my friend Ligon Dungan points this out. Ligon is, uh, works uh, with Reformed Theological Seminary. And he says, athletes in the ancient Greek games were, were required to come before the judges prior to the contest, and they were required to swear to Zeus that they had been in training for at least 10 months. Yeah, yeah, yeah. we're not even going to let you compete. You might be better than everybody else. We don't care. We want to know you've taken this seriously enough to prepare for it for at least 10 months. And Ligon said that's probably what Paul means when he says you can't win the prize unless you compete according to the rules. Unless you can acknowledge you have been in hard training for 10 months, you cannot compete for the prize. We don't even want you in the race. We don't want you to throw. We don't want you to jump. We don't want you to part of this thing. 10 months of training is essential. Now, 10 months, six months, 20 months, whatever, y'all, preparation is going to be essential. If you are going to be holy as God is holy, if you're going to be a substantial participant in the Great Commission, if you're going to be salt and light in this world, preparation is indeed incredibly essential. And there are all kinds of works of piety and works of mercy we need to be engaging in. There's all kinds of discipleship group dynamic we need to be engaging in. There's all kinds of church dynamic we need to go ahead and make sure we are participating in in order to be prepared for what Jesus wants for our life. Then I'd say about athletes, rules are important. Preparation is essential. Listen, not all. I was a track and field athlete, so I threw the discus. So that was pretty much kind of an individual event. But even at that, what you will find out is sometimes they needed me to go over and throw the shot. And if I didn't want to throw the shot and I didn't, then uh, you could put the team at risk for not winning an event. Because at the end of the day, Matt, this isn't just about you throwing the discus. This is about us winning this meet. Teamwork is essential. But, but let me describe it a little bit differently. I, I I think this is important too. A teamwork is not just you and your teammates. It's you and your coach. And I love this. I, I forget where I picked this up at, but NFL quarterback Aaron Rodgers. Apparently, yeah, you all know him. I mean, he's one of the best pro football players of all time. But I, I didn't know this about it. He loves being coached. He loves listening to his coaches. And he just flat out said, I love being coached. I love talking football with smart coaches. I love the input. I love the dialogue. I love the conversation. His team's head coach, Mike McCarthy, added, you know, Aaron's a really good student. He wants to be coached, and he likes to be coached hard. Steph Curry, you all know him. Maybe, as far as I'm concerned, the best basketball player in the NBA today. You disagree with that. I get that. But he, he has the same attitude. you got to admit, he's awful good. 
one of his coaches said about Steph, you know, he's, he's the most educable player I've ever known, both in terms of his willingness to listen and his, in his ability to absorb and to execute. And uh, I, I would just suggest to you here how hugely important this is. Now, there's a study done by a guy named Benjamin Bloom. As I was coming through school, Benjamin Bloom was the leading educator in America. He was an expert in education. And he wrote a book on exceptional talents. And this book uh, called Developing Talent in Young People, I actually recommend it to you if, if you're raising kids, because it, one of the things he'll say is no one gets to the top of their field, whether the field is mathematics or art or tennis or swimming or medicine, all kinds of other things, neurology. No one gets to the top of their field without other people. There are no Lone Ranger talents at the top. You need coaches. You need friends. You need competitors. You need people to push you. No one gets to the top on their own. And I think it's provocative to think that's part of teamwork too, is am I coachable? Do I have friends that I'm willing to receive open rebuke from? Am I willing to seek out rebuke? Am I willing to go ahead and say, hey, I'd love to have you critique me because I want to be all the woman of God, the person of God, the man of God that he wants me to be. I recognize I cannot do it on my own with only my perspective. Now, somebody's going to say, hey, listen, I, I mean, I've got all the accountability I need. I've got God. Yeah, but not even God says that's enough. He puts people into your life. He puts people into your life that are extensions of his wisdom into your life. And sometimes he puts people in your life that are just downright irritating, that are just hard. And maybe you suffer because of these people. Well, guess what? Suffering is part of that holiness dynamic as well. Hard to imagine us being all the holy that we can be without some kind of suffering going on in our lives. Maybe that's part of teamwork too. I uh, saw something the other day that I thought was kind of funny. You know, they, they said that uh, there was something written about uh, uh, by a guy named Michael Ramsden. I don't know this guy. He's an apologist, apparently, but I love this bit. He says he shares a t about a time when a friend of his asked an audience to imagine peace. I'm not so sure I hadn't already shared this, but if I've already shared it, you need to hear it again. He says, close your eyes and just think about peace. Just think about peace. After a few moments, he asked the audience, now share your impressions. What did you envision? And one person said, well, you know, I, I got this picture of flowers and beautiful trees. Another told of mountaintops with snow and pine trees on the spacious landscape. Yet another spoke of a beautiful, serene lake, all pictures of peace. One thing was missing among the peace pictures, however. All of them had no people in them. <laughs> everything, everything was great about those pictures as if they had no people. He says, isn't it interesting? When asked to imagine peace, the first thing we do is to eliminate everyone else. Now, peace basically means this whole understanding of shalom and peace has something to do with nature. I don't doubt that for a minute, but mostly it has to do with people. Three persons for starters, Father, Son, and Spirit, and all other persons on planet Earth. 
And as this tri-personal God has lived in love and harmony with one another, so we can, in fact, live in love and harmony with one another, given the grace to do so by this Father and Son and Holy Spirit. All that to say, this is a teamwork thing, y'all. And I would suggest that for soldiers, just like athletes. At the end of the day, it is very much a teamwork thing that has to happen in our lives to be all the people of God, to be the young leaders, to be the leaders God wants us to be. Now, Paul's writing about, uh, you know, discipleship leadership to young leaders. And he says to 2 Timothy 2, he says, now, farmers, hardworking farmer ought to be the first to share of his crops. Now, I, I got to tell you, I'm biased on this. I get that I'm biased on it. But I love farmers. Best people in the world, I think. I'm not sure if great people choose farming or farming itself makes great people, but I just love farmers. I grew up in Kansas and, uh, you know, wheat's all around us. I, we were not farmers. My dad, however, serviced farmers by uh, tires. So we sold tires. And when the harvest was there and someone needed a tire, my dad was there for them. But uh, I, I just grew to love farmers. And the thing is, I think it creates great faith. Being a farmer creates faith. I mean, you work your tail end off. You've done all that you can do. Your role is vital, no question, but something else has to happen. There's a certain amount of sun, a certain amount of rain, a certain amount of warmth, but you control none of those things. The thing that keeps you in the game is the harvest. You plant something that's needed. You get first dibs when the crop comes in, hard work, hard work fruit, eat, sell. But some of that you can do, some of it you can't do and you've got to have faith, and you have faith across the long term, because if it didn't work out this year, I know that in across 10 harvests, it will work. We're going to have a drought. We're going to have some droughts. We're going to have some hard times. We're going to have some uh, disease that comes up, but no matter what, I have faith that over the long term, this thing turns out, and I've always appreciated the patience of farmers. I mean, some goes wrong uh, at the tire store where we were at, I mean, people were upset and blowing gaskets and, and hugely mad. Something goes wrong with the farmer. This is what I noticed across many years. Something goes wrong on the farm. They just kind of say, well, let's go take care of it. And they go take care of it. I mean, they don't lose their cool. They develop patience. In other words, they expect things to go wrong. Things going wrong are budgeted into the whole plan. I mean, Things are going to go wrong, and so that's just part of this job. I love farmers. And hardworking farmers are talked about by Paul as one of the things of discipleship we need to be all about. Now, verse 7, and we didn't read verse 7 here, but verse 7 of 2 Timothy 2 says, Think over what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. Now, remember what Jesus told Paul to do, and Timothy through him, I want you to make disciples. And so we fight like a soldier to make disciples. We train and play by the rules to make disciples. We sow and we reap for disciples. Let me just end with this. I was talking to my congregation the other day about a, a guy named Lord Kenneth Clark, internationally known for this television series, Civilization. Any of you see it? Now, he lived and died without faith in Jesus Christ, and he had admitted in his autobiography that while visiting a beautiful church, he had what he believed to be an overwhelmingly religious experience. And he wrote, my whole being 
was irradiated by a kind of heavenly joy far more intense than anything I had ever, ever known. But he said that, that whole flood of grace thing created a problem. He says, if I allowed myself to be influenced by it, I knew I would have to change. His family might think he'd lost his mind. And maybe that intense joy would prove to be just an illusion. So, Lord Kenneth Clark concluded, I was too embedded in the world to change course. Oh my. Y'all, Paul's writing to a young leader and he's telling Timothy, be a soldier and make soldiers. Be an athlete and make athletes. Be a farmer and make farmers. We fight like a soldier to make disciples. We train and play by the rules to make disciples. We sow and we reap for disciples. That's what we do. That's what we're about. Do not, Timothy, and by extension to every single one of us that appreciates the Word of God and appreciates 2 Timothy, do not be so embedded in the world that you can't change course. All right, it's a wrap. Been an honor to have you listening to the Life Changing Discipleship podcast today with Matt Friedemann. Hey, check out our Facebook page, Life Changing Discipleship. I'm, I'm up on Twitter, Matt Friedemann personally is up on Twitter. Check us out there. And remember to check out that new book, The New Discipleship in the Home. Find it at Amazon.com and of course, all kinds of other volumes there by Matt Friedemann. So check that out. Always, always tell other people about our podcast. And remember, my wife thanks you. My daughter thanks you. My sons and their wives thank you. And I can assure you that I thank you for listening to Life Changing Discipleship today. Love God, live clean, keep the faith, make disciples, and God bless you, dear friends. We'll see you back here real soon. Yeah.